Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just Conversations with Jamal and Nate. I'm Jamal Adams. And I'm Nate Sessoms. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us. For those of you who might be new to this space, Just Conversations is a podcast that's positioned at the nexus of faith and all matters pertaining to race, justice, and Catholic education. We highlight historical and current happenings in the realm of diversity, equity and inclusion, and anti-racism, while focusing on solutions, system changes, and the amplification of voices working to create a more just and egalitarian society for all. Each episode, we engage in authentic yet provocative dialogue seasoned with critical perspectives, scholarship, and life experiences. We also conduct interviews and moderate panel discussions featuring campus community leaders. We interrogate issues related to mission and identity and answer live questions from listeners. Ultimately, we aim to increase levels of awareness while normalizing conversations on all forms of oppression and marginalization. We ascribe to the idea that there's room for everybody in the movement. So no matter how much you know or don't know, we invite you to engage with us. After all, these are just conversations. And as a reminder, we'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. So please take your time, take some time, send us a note. You can just email us at our Just Conversations inbox at justconversations at ignatiansolidarity.net. Again, that's justconversations at ignatiansolidarity.net. Brother Nate, how we doing? Jamal, what is up, my man? What's going on with you? I'm good, brother. I'm good. As we as we wind down Black History Month, um, and as I was kind of taking in the NBA All-Star weekend festivities, I was uh, really lifted up by uh, the centering of historically black colleges or HBCUs uh, by the NBA. I think post the George Floyd era um, leadership, the Chris Pauls, the LeBron Jameses of the world, I think it really pushed the NBA uh, to squarely invest in, um, in a very real way an amplification of uh, both the idea of what a HBCU is as well as the investment of money. And uh, I know for both of us, there's some, some really cool uh, personal um, ties to historically black colleges. Um, I've always uh, been very proud and, and talked to a lot of folks about the idea that I'm a direct descendant of a gentleman named Charles P. Adams, uh, the founder or co-founder, I should say, along with his wife, Martha Adams, of Gramley State University. Spent a lot of summers as a young a young uh, teenager and even middle schooler going down to Grambling and spending time with my great aunts and learning the history and, and being around historically black college and, and all the pride that comes with those types of institutions. So again, it lifted my heart to see the uh, NBA kind of invest directly in that, um, in that, in those ideas and, and amplification. Yeah. We, we, and we've talked a lot about uh, this over the years, uh, both having strong ties to HBCUs. My parents uh, met at uh, Kentucky State College then, Kentucky State University now, uh, in Frankfurt. Um, and growing up, uh, the fact that they met there played a, it was a huge uh, role, a huge part of my upbringing. Um, my parents would uh, would um, open their doors to members of the, of the choir and the glee club. And uh, I have pictures of, of you know, being an a, a infant walking around with these big, uh, Kentucky State College sweatshirts on and, and you know, just uh, I felt like that was probably where I was going to end up going to college um, after high school. But, um, you know, it, it's it's been great to see HBCUs uh, uh, in the spotlight. Um, uh, you know, speaking of athletics, as we know, for uh, many, many years prior to integration, uh, the NFL was drafting out of HBCUs 
uh, all over the place. I mean, this, a lot of the star black stars in the NFL were coming out of HBCUs, and a lot of uh, basketball players uh, in the NBA, the stars were coming out of HBCUs. You think about the the Earl Monroe's and so forth. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's great to see, um, but it's great to celebrate not only the talent, to your point, Jamal, it's great to see the investment. It's great to see the Amen. investment um, and the dollars being uh, poured back into HBCUs. And I just hope that it continues and that it's not something that all of a sudden, you know, people decide they're going to pull the plug on um, because uh, they are uh, um, institutions uh, of a particular kind within our community that I don't think uh, everyone fully realizes. And I'm hoping we can continue to dialogue about that and, and, um, and bring awareness to it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even uh, maybe we could argue an underappreciated asset within our community. Yeah. And that, um, and as you said, post-integration as, uh, as doors opened up and for us enter other institutions of higher learning that were integrating themselves, uh, you know, again, taking advantage of black genius in multiple ways, not just athletically, um, sometimes I think those, those institutions are often forgotten about what they still do right. in a 2022 time frame right. in terms of offering um, opportunities for for young uh, black kids, but kids of all colors, really, um, to have affordable access to college education. So uh, I'm with yeah. you. It's uh, as, as we wind down Black History Month, I just wanted to give a shout out uh, to the HBCUs, um, the historical HBCUs. space. Yeah, yeah, in our in our place and. And looking forward to keep going, man. So, so what are we talking Absolutely. about this week? Absolutely. Well, it, you know, it's a great segue uh, just to, to get us going here. Last uh, episode, we were talking about uh, uh, Black History Month, and we took a break from our, our dialogue, our ongoing dialogue on anti-racism to really highlight Black History Month and, and help people understand how to engage in respectful celebration, right? This idea that uh, we understand February, but really... Uh, helping people to understand that they're just scratching the surface of uh, of a much deeper history and um, uh, uh, rich uh, cultural heritage uh, when they engage in celebrating Black History Month. We celebrate Black History 24-7, 365 days a year. And, and ultimately, Jamal, as we've discussed, that's the case uh, for, for other cultural celebrations as well, right? For the Latinx community, for the Asian community, indigenous communities, um, you know, LGBT, um, you know, an anti-racist perspective uh, uh, states that uh, we can celebrate, we can honor the history, uh, we can highlight community whenever we want. It's not so much about a month. Um, it's about an, about an attitude and about our level of focus and our willingness to engage. So um, just want to highlight that, get us get us on track for, for today's episode. But I, I wanted you to go ahead and chime in on that one. Yeah, and I I can't agree more, right? And I would argue that um, the part that I would I would add to this conversation is just that I think oftentimes, like when we think about Black History Month, and even we see, like I was reading an article the other day about how there's a school in Idaho that was allowing parents to opt out of Black History Month for their students, was this idea that there's this decoupling, right? That Black mm-hmm. History Month is like runs on a parallel track to some other kind of history, right? And that mm-hmm. that at at the at the end and that. Black History Month is uh, is an opportunity to celebrate a perspective that is often hidden in our curriculums, right? Um, there's always been a symbiotic, mutual uh, relationship between the birth and growth of America and the black experience. And uh, I think this call for, for Black History Month is really to try to really um, um, to look at the idea 
that oftentimes the black experience has been erased in our in our mainstream curriculum. Um, and I think, you know, uh, it really stands to be in line with our podcast. Like studying black history is 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 no doubt about it in, in line with an anti-racist perspective because one, it asks us to be um, have a perspective change to put on a different pair of glasses and look at the same set of facts from a different perspective so that we can build empathetic muscles um, around the black experience. It is 100% not anti-white um, because again, uh, there is no America without um, the mutual mm-hmm. um, experience of all Americans and particularly uh, those of us that are black. Um I think a lot about some of the trainings I do and, and one of the TED Talks we use is The Danger of a Single Story by Chimamanda mm-hmm. Adichie. And mm-hmm. she talks about the idea that, right, stereotype is not often wrong, it's incomplete. And the study in the black history helps us get a collective full story of the American story, of the American dream and story. Um, and with that, um, it, uh, it really helps build, like I said, uh, a full and complete story. And lastly, I would just say like, right, um, where it really helps us in our anti-racism work is that studying black history allows us to really see the subtleties and the nuances of how systems of oppression and marginalizations have created barriers or impediments um, or have been deadly in some respects for black folks, both yep. overtly yep. and covertly. I mean, studying black history is, again, part of doing our work. Totally agree. Totally agree. Very well said, my friend. And And sort of continuing down that path, uh, and getting back into our dialogue on anti-racism and the basic tenets of anti-racism. I thought it might be helpful today to to really engage in a dialogue around what's happening behind the scenes and uh, with respect to the types of changes that many proponents of anti-racism are seeking. Uh, again, Jamal, something you and I talk about all the time, some things we've already seen. I think this aspect of our ongoing dialogue uh, with respect to anti-racism is is particularly compelling because People often think that the road toward a more equitable society, more equitable work environment, more equitable department, church, school, classroom, even our households is littered with all of these complicated steps, right? And it doesn't have to be that way necessarily. The challenging part, Jamal, I think, is that this road always begins with the self. It always begins with the, each of us individually, or what we like to, the way we like to say it, the process of looking in the mirror. And this is applicable to any situation in which we're seeking change, whether we're talking about ourselves, our parishes, as I mentioned, our places of employment. Um, that doesn't have to be complicated, and it can actually lead to more progress than we actually think. So what do you think? You ready for the conversation? Absolutely, my brother. Let's get, let's get after it. Um, but before that, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to start to talk about the, the value of reflection self-exploration, and change while traveling down the road road towards anti-racism. We will be right back. This Lent, walk daily with writers from across the Ignatian Network as we strive to turn our frustration into holy frustration, keeping our hearts open as we seek justice in our world. Featured authors include Father Greg Boyle, Father James Martin, and Sister Norma Pimentel. Subscribe to Harden Not Your Hearts, a Lenten journey in holy frustration today, for free at igsoul.net slash lent. That's I-G-S-O-L dot net slash lent. And subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Today we're talking about looking in the mirror, reviewing, reflecting upon, 
and revising on the road to anti-racism. Let's go ahead and get into our talking points. So to get that started, we know that anti-racism is an extremely politicized term, and that has led to many led to many to be to misunderstand it. In many ways, anti-racism simply challenges us to do something we should already be doing and be the best version of ourselves for the sake of others. During the intro, we had dialogued about ideas that many people see anti-racism as an extremely complicated process, but engaging in it can involve some pretty simple steps and that are applicable to people as we work to develop a more just and equitable society, as well as integrate these ideas and these notions into our parishes, schools, and our institutions. So with that, I'm going to pass it to Nate to get us talking some more about how we can um, really build our muscles around this idea of reviewing, reflecting, and revising. Appreciate you, brother. And, and I would totally agree. I, I think that, <clears throat> as you stated, when many people hear the word anti-racism, they immediately become fearful or, or confused. Uh, and to be honest, in my experience, many people have no clue what it is. Uh, but the funny thing is they have an opinion about it. Um, they've heard it on the news. They've seen people sharing their thoughts on social media. Um, but but no matter what the source, uh, their source of information, it's difficult for people to, to dig into it. Uh, if that makes sense. So, uh, it, you know, even in, in um, when we think about our Catholic faith, uh, people have challenges, you know, linking it to, to our faith. Um, but the road toward anti-racism really begins with one step and one step only, and that's looking in the mirror. Uh, all work in the realm of anti-racism begins with the self. Um, and, and if you think about it, Jamal, that's what our Catholic faith guides us to do anyway. Right, recognizing that all people are created in the image and likeness of God, and for each of us to work toward becoming the best possible version of that, uh, we know that none of us is or can be perfect. However, that road, that journey, that self journey, is worth our time and our energy. Uh, and that very same road is the one that takes us toward uh, developing a greater understanding of and experiencing. Um, anti-racism in a more equitable society. Um, and, you know, the road begins with something that I know we consider to be very Ignatian, and that's this idea of reflection, right? And so I'll pass it back to you to, to, to speak more on reflection, but just wanted to kind of get us started on, on uh, in that dialogue. No, I appreciate it. And, uh, and uh, I really appreciate the idea that you talked about in terms of people understanding or misunderstanding even the term anti-racism um, and some of the work that I've done in the last couple of weeks at some different schools. It's been a term that folks are really struggle with and grappling with, mm -hmm. um, yep. you know, and, and because you and I are in this space sometimes, it feels like, well, isn't this like in our mainstream nomenclature now? And it feels like uh, we're still trying to evolve our understanding. I'm even reflecting as you talk about like the news this week of like Michelle Tafoya, the satellite reporter from ABC, mm -hmm. who's decided to eschew mm -hmm. her career in the NFL for the fight for justice in her words of uh, making sure that, you know, race is not an, a space of discussion going forward, I guess is, I don't, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but it just, it felt like a hackney excuse for her to move on and, and to move into a more um, conservative and, and right-leaning kind of political space. So, mm -hmm. um, but with that being said, right, I do agree, right? A reflection is in our nation values and as a Ignatian educator and, 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 and some that's formed by, 
um, my master's program at, at LMU around Ignatian pedagogy. Um, the reflective part is a huge part of the Ignatian pedagogical paradigm. I think a couple of episodes back, I talked about it. Those five steps include context, experience, reflection, action, and evaluation. And what I would like to focus on maybe a little bit differently to this time than last time is that where that is, where reflection is, is centered and it's at, it's uh, no pun intended. It's really centered in the third step or right in the middle of that, um, of that evolution. And it comes after right. context and experience and before action. So we're asked to think about all that we've taken in right. to reflect on it, to, to have it interact with, our current funds of knowledge is, you know, what we bring to the table before these conversations. And so that we can create God willing, some new understanding or new perspective and that perspective, that new perspective with more information, then uh, effectuates the way that we move forward with our actions. And so I think it's really important. I think, again, going back to the last two years as, as America's grappled with this post George Floyd America, so often um, people have come to me and say, what can we do? Mm-hmm. What can we do? And um, I think what we're asking folks to do is to reflect, to take in all this information and reflect before moving to action, which oftentimes can be without like a good plan, can find yourself, you know, doing more harm than good. Um, is this a very important um, part of reflection? The other thing I think reflection does, um, and this is something that I've learned from you directly, and I think is really important, is that when it comes to change. Uh, we often are inclined to think about what we like other people to do, right? Mm-hmm. And this can be very frustrating. I think reflection allows us, again, to get back to self and realize that we can't control others, right? The only person that we can control is ourselves. Right. And and our faith asks us to do that, right, is to be in control of ourselves. We're tasked to be our loving neighbor, right? The, the Ten Commandments ask us to love our neighbor. It doesn't say if that neighbor looks like us or behaves right. like us um, or is situated politically <clears throat> like us, right? <clears throat> right. Um, it's asking us to be in control of ourselves. Um, and so the question is then, how do we do this? What does it exactly mean to look in the mirror? Um, and uh, I think that'll really um, illuminate our third segment today in the podcast so again we're going to take another quick break and when we get back uh we'll dig further into kind of how do we do this and what does it actually mean to look in the mirror so stay tuned join the ignatian solidarity network in new york city or via live stream on wednesday april 27th for ignite a celebration of justice we'll be honoring father brian massingale racial justice scholar and Marie Dennis, international peace advocate with the Robert M. Holstein Faith Doing Justice Award for their years of work to build a more just and equitable world. Hear from these honorees and more while uplifting and supporting the work of the Ignatian Solidarity Network. Tickets, sponsorship opportunities, and more information are available at igsoul.net forward slash ignite. That's I-G-S-O-L dot net forward slash ignite. We hope to see you there. So we're back and engaged in our conversation on looking in the mirror, reviewing, reflecting upon, and revising on the road to anti-racism. And Jamal, I I, I loved uh, the way you closed us out that last segment. I just want to add to to um, your breakdown on reflection, which I thought was just it, it was it was classic. Um, 
you know, I, I, you and I talked about this, and I share this when when we've done our trainings um, uh, at the teach-in, and um, when when I uh, was uh, in the process of transitioning uh, from LMU, uh, was right around the time that George Floyd was murdered, and I got several phone calls and text messages, uh, you know, saying, you know, we stand with the black community, we stand with you, Nate, we're sorry this happened, you know, you know, what can we do? And, and to your point, you know, what can we do? What can we do? And, uh, I remember thinking about it for about a day and a half. And I think everyone was trying to sort of, sort of absorb what they had seen, uh, with that video. And I started to call people back individually. And, uh, over about a two, two and a half day period, I called everybody back and I said a couple of things. The first thing I said was, uh, thank you for, for thinking of me, right? I, you know, I didn't, take for granted the idea that they thought of me and and wanted to reach out. So I thought that was a good thing. And I want to acknowledge that. But the second thing I said was, um, I'm not sure that was the, the best first step to reach out to me. Although I appreciated it. Uh, if that makes sense, the, 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 I think the appropriate first step in that situation would have been and continues to be, that people should engage in reflection, right? And so if you are getting ready to tell somebody you want to stand with them or you feel bad for them or you um, are hurting for them, you know, engage in reflection and think about what's happening in my own household. If I have children, if they are walking around and I hear them, you know, drop a racial slur or repeat something they heard on television or something they heard from another friend, if you hear that, do you stop or do you stop your kids and say, hey, we don't we don't talk like that in this house? You know, that, that that's that's not acceptable. Or do you let it go? Um, you know, if, if you have parents that are harboring, uh, you know, uh, racist ideas, um, you know, be they about the black community or any any community. Uh, have you have you engaged with your parents and said, hey, you know, uh, mom, dad, uh, why, why do you think that way? Or do you just let it go? Do you just size up the conversation, right? So, so those are the kind of things that can come out of um, a productive uh, reflection process before you engage in activity that you think is helping someone else. Help yourself first, right? Engage in reflection and, and think about um, uh, what's going on in your own household, in your own personal life, amongst your friends first, and what you're willing to tolerate or what you're pushing back on before you come out and, and, and say that you want to be an ally or an accomplice. Um, and so I just wanted to share that uh, for, for people to think about um, and, um, and, and relate it back to, to many of the outstanding points you made, Jamal. So Greatly appreciate it. So, so, um, so in the last time we were talking about the difficulty involved with looking in the mirror and, and, and engaging in reflection and this idea that we often point the finger at others rather than pointing it at ourselves. And, and so how do we exactly do this? Let's, well, let's approach this from an individual perspective first. Um, we have to, as individuals, review, reflect upon, and revise our own attitudes, behaviors, and beliefs. What exactly does that mean? Well, when we look in the mirror, it would be nice if we liked what we see. Often, however, we, we fear looking in the mirror, right? In the first place, we don't even want to do it. Or we look in the mirror and we don't really recognize the person we see. By that, I mean, we have an idea of who we are, uh, an idea of our, an image of ourselves, if you will. And we like that image, 
right? We want to we want to uh, highlight our best qualities. We want to help let everybody know that we are uh, great people um, and that we are um, uh, God fearing and so forth, right? But what happens when you look in the mirror and you don't see that? That can be an interesting experience, right? Sometimes um, you know change is created when we find out that we're not the people we thought we were, that we actually have flaws, that uh, we might be falling short, um, that in some ways we're inadequate. Um, but regardless of what we see, we have to know that we can be better and we can become persons for and with others, right? So examining our attitudes, behaviors, and beliefs really speaks to getting a better read on why we believe what we believe, right? Peeling back the layers and, and thinking about the ways that we've been socialized, right? Asking ourselves if we really understand the experience, the experiences, and in particular, the hardships of others, right? Have we taken the time to really consider that although things are fine for us and that we don't have to worry about whether police cars are behind us or, or when we hear siren that, you know, I, I feel confident that I'm in good standing, that that might not be the case for other people in our lives, our, our colleagues at work, uh, our peers at school. You know, everyone is not living that reality. Are we cognizant of that? What might we need to change about ourselves in order to make the world a better place? Does that mean you're a terrible person? No, that's not what we're saying. But all of us can think about the reflection some small way that we can be better for the sake of others. Once we know and understand that, we can begin to work on those things. But again, the first step is reflecting. And I'll hand it back to you, Jamal. I just wanted to, to make that point. I appreciate it, Nate, and I appreciate you uh, um, being vulnerable enough to share um, even a personal anecdote around this work. So I think, again, um, to give some tangible ideology around better understanding ourselves, I would say there's a couple things that we need to be focusing on. One is, um, I'll go back to one of our podcasts, right? You got to stay ready so you don't have to get ready, right? Stay uh, dedication. Ready. Yeah. yeah. You got to uh, be dedicated and disciplined to the work, right? Um, drown out the yeah. noise and you got to stay yeah. ready to so you don't have to get ready. Right. I think you got to examine and, you know, as you talked about this, this, this discomfort of looking in the mirror. So, you know, where is that discomfort and why? Mm -hmm. Right. That, that mm -hmm. takes some, some, some interesting things, especially as uh, again, with the lens of anti-racism or, or in the, in, in the interrelation of, uh, of this American experiment around race, like where and why is there discomfort? And, um, yeah. what are the stories maybe, right. Or the, uh, that have been poured into you, um, and your experience that creates this discomfort. Um, once we can understand that, then it's like building a plan towards educating ourselves. Like, how do I, how do I move to a more enlightened space? Um, what do I need to do? What do I need to read, experience, watch, listen to? Um, and then lastly, I would say um, you're going to have to need to be intentional about being in spaces in which you can listen and interact, particularly with the lived experience of others. Um, and so that, 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 that muscle of empathy and compassion, that ability to really imagine kinship and mutuality, um, and an interpersonal standpoint um, can really shine through. I think that's that's where we we build um, our best selves, and 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 I mean that socially, like as as human beings interconnected with other human beings, we build our best selves, right? When we can we can grow our empathetic and compassionate muscles, uh, because we have a better understanding of the lived experience. Mm -hmm. We can rationalize it with a current context, and we can be um, the type of allies and or accomplices that help people find their way to a more um, 
equitable and egalitarian society. Yep. I'm a, yep. I'm also talking a little bit in transition. So like at the same time that individuals are examining themselves and reviewing, uh, reflecting upon and revising their attitudes, beliefs, uh, and behaviors, there are many companies, both uh, for-profit and non-profits, that are in the midst of trying to do the same things. And I think when we start to talk about institutions or collections of people or, 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 or schools and things of that sort, that really starts at the idea of reviewing their policies, their right. practices, their procedures, the systems, right. their personnel. Right. Um, and so if we're going to create a more equitable work environment, we've got to take a look at our policies. We've got to ask ourselves if, if they work for everybody or just those at the upper echelon in the C-suite, right? And, 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 and an example, again, kind of going back to what you talked about earlier in this segment, Nate, like many or organizations have publicly stated that they would like to be more diverse in their hiring. Um, and many have uh, moved towards those steps of hiring more people of color, women, or other members of oppressed populations. However, this is where looking in the mirror applies. And what sense does it make to bring those individuals into an environment that is admittedly flawed, right? Why might these organizations be uh, in need of diversity in the first place? Um, right. What are the catalysts for the challenges of retention? Again, um, if, if, if doing this work well means that everybody in your organization feels seen, heard, and loved, and um, is the idea of just hiring and not fixing the internal manifestation of the community um, and allowing for all people to be seen, heard, and loved um, isn't taking place, um, then it oftentimes can um, result in a revolving door where you just have people of color coming, coming, burning out and, and blowing out. Then there's a, a hue and cry for more um, hires, uh, uh, diverse hires, um, and that cycle just keeps um, following itself. So, so again, rather than just immediately hire people of color, why not review the current work environment? This, again, includes those policies, those procedures, those systems, those practices. Um, and when appropriate, make changes, right? Um, look at the inherent issues within the organization um, and really be thinking about becoming a space that's not only welcoming, um, but is centered around belonging, that these people, all people, not just people of color, but all people within that institution feel a large sense of belonging and being invested in that institution. I'll pass it to you, Nate, to talk a little bit more about this. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with where you're coming from, um, and I think it's a, it's a great way to see that this work is about the self, but it can be extended right into our institutions, our schools, um, companies, so that they can be held accountable, right? And and let's be honest, being held accountable is never comfortable. When you know people are watching you, and and people are grading you, and they are assessing you. Uh, that's difficult, but that's part of life too. Um, and I think we have to be uh, ready for it and, and simply deal with it. Um, so if we're thinking about our parishes and our, and our schools, um, you know, I'll just say within our parishes, we have a, a great opportunity right now to be educating members of our parish communities. Um, and so it's time to talk more about race. It's time to talk more about what's happening in society outside of, uh, outside of our parish community. Um, let's make our homilies applicable to oppressed and marginalized people, right? There are plenty of biblical stories that highlight Jesus' efforts to engage with the oppressed and marginalized people of those times, right? It's time to have these conversations and help people see that this work on anti-racism is strongly linked to being the best versions of who we're called to be. 
Um, so uh, I know of a lot of attempts at education that are going on right now in parish communities where parishes are bringing in uh, outside consultants to educate um, uh, uh, pe- members of the parish community on race, to talk about difference, to to have uh, bring people who might be on uh, opposite sides uh, um, of the church together to dialogue about difference. Um, and I know uh, of a few instances where um, uh, consultants have been I- invited uh, to meet with priests and and teach them the language and, and help them better understand and see things that they haven't seen in the past. So um, I'm happy that some of those things are happening, but I think they definitely need to happen uh, more often. Um, I think within our schools, and, and obviously, uh, Jamal, you and I can talk about, and we do talk about Catholic schools on a regular basis. We're both um, educators at, at, at Catholic schools. Um, I think these are really unique spaces where uh, both uh, of the of the uh, aspects of reflection that we've been talking about uh, today can take place at the exact same, t- same time, right? So we've got uh, staff members and faculty members who can be engaging in the process of looking in the mirror, right? And thinking about how am I engaging with my students on a daily basis? Uh, am I understanding them and their experiences, or at least trying to? Um, am I connecting with students, right? Not so that it's not transactional. Jamal comes in and sees me. I give Jamal the referral to see this office. Jamal leaves. I don't know anything about Jamal. The stage is not set for Jamal to come back to me because we didn't really establish a relationship of any kind in that transactional uh, exchange, right? But if I'm connecting with Jamal, then Jamal knows no matter what's going on in his in his uh, high school or college uh, experience, he can always come back to the office and, and engage and get services that he needs, right? It can be that simple. Um, taking the time to engage and connect uh, with students. After all, we set the example. The adults set the example, right? So faculty, staff, administrators, whether it's the the president, the provost, the 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 board of, the board chairman, whoever it is, we we are the adults and we set the example. We set the tone. So we have to be willing to take those steps. Um, at the same time that we're examining ourselves as individuals, right? We can look at uh, our institutions, right? Our Jesuit colleges and universities, uh, our secondary schools, and think about are there policies that are that are that are uh, relied upon in this space or in these spaces that are, not, are inadequate, right? What what needs to be changed, right? What 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 do we need to take a closer look at? What's happening in the mainstream or what's happening in other schools that we need to hurry hurry back to the table and go? Oh, we need a policy that addresses that. Okay, let's drop the policy. Let's train everyone. Let's make sure that everyone understands what's going on and how we're going to be held accountable by this policy, right? Are our personnel um, engaging, as I mentioned earlier, the way they need to be, right? How do we how do we hold people accountable within our schools, right? And I'm not talking about terminating people and firing them, and that's not where I'm going with it. But we are all held accountable. We we can't hold students accountable if we ourselves, as the professionals, aren't held accountable, right? That truly embodies the spirit of a school community. So I, I think that, uh, again, Catholic schools are a very unique space. I think that, um, uh, again, we've talked about the fact that this work needs to be ongoing and that we need to be engaging in these conversations on a regular basis, because if we don't, if we don't get this right, Jamal, and you notice, we've talked about this several times, guess who stands to lose the most? Our students, right? And we can't create 
uh, a, a new generation of leaders and change agents and people who are, uh, as I've heard on a number of occasions, ready to go out and set the world on fire, right? If they don't understand how to do that. Um, and so we have to be, uh, uh, and we have to continue to play a key role in that process. So um, at this point, uh, we're going to close out the conversation, but thank everyone again for joining us on Just Conversations. Just a reminder, we'd love to hear your ideas and thoughts. Please take the time to send us a note at justconversations at ignatiansolidarity.net. That's justconversations at ignatiansolidarity.net. If you'd like to support the work of the Ignatian Solidarity Network, uh, why don't you head over to ignatiansolidarity.net forward slash donate to make a donation. I know they'd appreciate it. As always, please make sure to find us on iTunes and Spotify and share this conversation with others uh, in your life who are engaged in uh, DEI and anti-racism work. Uh, we look forward to continuing to connect with you on this journey and continue to build this as a place of love and growth uh, on our way to uh, becoming persons formed with others. We, as always, also like to thank uh, the staff at ISN and particularly our man behind the scenes, AJ. AJ, we appreciate AJ. you greatly. You are the man. Uh, but for now, we're going to sign out. Uh, catch us next time on the next episode. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>